Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Rimel, registered nurse, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. During her podcast, Krista will interview experienced and successful healthcare professionals on outside-the-box health topics. During their time together, they will have in-depth discussions with trusted medical and health and wellness leaders to discover what they do to stay well using traditional and non-traditional health practices. Experts will share not only what, but why they practice the holistic lifestyle medicine they do and the science that backs their less than mainstream ideas. You'll hear the real and relatable personal health struggles of healthcare providers and what rebelling outside of the traditional healthcare system did to better their lives, careers, and health. Tune in to listen and learn the mind-body-spirit practices from conventional health experts who share hope and inspiration from honest stories of healing while reflecting the scientific-based evidence to wisely guide the inner rebel inside you. It's time to rebel and be well. Welcome, Dr. Bill Manahan, to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I would like to introduce our audience to you by sharing your bio and background. Dr. Bill Manahan, MD, is Assistant Professor Emeritus with the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Minnesota Academic Health Center in Minneapolis. He is past president of the American Holistic Medical Association and author of the book, Eat for Health. Dr. Manahan co-founded the Wellness Center of Minnesota, one of America's first physician-led integrative medicine centers. He was also the founder and program director of Minnesota's first rural family medicine residency program. Presently, he consults with physicians and clinics wishing to expand into a more integrative and holistic practice, and he is working to help make the primary healthcare system more holistic and more joyful for patients and practitioners. Dr. Bill, thank you for taking the time to join us today. The short bio I just read is such a small snapshot of all you have accomplished in your career. At this juncture, it's an honor to be co-hosting retreats with you at The Point, and I am truly looking forward to our next retreat for healthcare professionals this coming fall of 2021, focused on creating an environment of health when surrounded by sickness. Bill, you are a one-of-a-kind and original rebel rouser. The first time I heard you present on topics other MDs shy away from, I knew we would be great friends. From things like the link between dairy allergies and ear infections, to fast, to slow medicine, to death with dignity, you broach topics others simply won't. The physician who believes in science but understands there are things yet to be discovered between the body, mind, and spirit. The doctor, colleague, and friend cherished and respected by so many, and the one clinician whose inner rebel is admired by all. Dr. Bill, welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I'm grateful that you're here with me today. And even more grateful, the audience can't see this, but you're here with me in person, <laughs> which is no surprise if you know Bill, but he was willing to be the rebel who would sit across the table from me so we could talk together face to face. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for being here, Bill. Thank you, Krista. I'm honored to be here. Bill, there's so much I want to ask you, um, but I'd like to really start with finding out more about what drew you into medicine and healthcare originally. I started out actually uh, going to college to play sports. Uh, was, uh, it was I wanted to be a coach and a, uh, and a teacher. In college, I found out 
uh, college sports was not nearly as much fun as high school sports. <laughs> yeah. I was not necessarily playing with my buddies. And you take these long bus trips all over Minnesota. And I wasn't good enough to be at the same level. And so I went and uh, visited uh, a uh, counselor at the uh, a jobs counselor at the college. Yeah. And he had me take this test and then he graded it. And then number one was to be a rancher and number three was to be a farmer. Yeah. And number eight was to be a physician. Those okay. are the three I remember. Yeah. And I looked at it for a minute and then I said, I think I'll be a physician. And he and in retrospect mm-hmm. I realize that I don't like anybody bossing me around. <laughs> and so a farmer, and, and I had worked on a ranch in Montana yeah. for a summer, and I'd worked on farms for growing up. Yeah. And I, they're pretty much their own boss. And that right. came 30 years later when, when I started, why did I have that? And then, and then he said, well, are there physicians in your family? Uh-huh. And I said, no. And he said, well, why, you know, yeah. why a physician? And right. I said, well, I don't have any idea. He said, well, think. what you know." And I said, uh-huh. well, what comes to mind is that when I was about six or eight years old, I was really sick, and the doctor in our little town, the one doctor, paid a house call, yeah. and he sat on the edge of the bed and felt my head and checked my lungs and said some encouraging words, and the next morning I woke up and I was well. Wow. And and I kept having that flash of, uh, you yeah. know, and so, and then the other thing is it just seemed I wanted to be helpful to people like that. So sure, sure. I'd just, never given it a thought. You know, and it's interesting. I can see where you have that characteristic of wanting to be autonomous and independent in whatever profession <laughs> you're in, which being a rancher or farmer would have given you that too. But you've made being a physician almost like an art. It's a practice, right? So I can't even imagine you and I'm doing something other than what you've done. And thank goodness you chose that path because I know you've impacted many throughout your career. So fortunately for all of us, that doctor, when you were six, stayed with you and inspired you. So I'm glad that that was your, I'm glad you chose number eight. Explain where you've been traditional in medicine during your career and where you've been non-traditional. I think that for my entire career, I've been both because uh, I just – so holistic and integrative medicine is not the absence of allopathic and osteopathic and, and uh, what we call traditional medicine. Yeah. It just more is making it expanded, making it bigger. It's uh, like adding – you have a, have a house and you add wings onto it mm-hmm. that, that can better accommodate what's needed. And right. so – I, I just uh, – I, from the very beginning, I um, – right after internship, I went in Peace Corps and I, I worked on an, at an Aborigine hospital outside of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Oh, wow. And so that was a high learning curve of seeing how – what they did, how they uh, – one of the key things I remember is that it was just a long ward of like 10, 10 people on each side of the ward, mm-hmm. 20 of the Aborigines. But there were room between the beds. And then their family would come in. The family would live outside the hospital on the edge of the forest with a little tent. They would bring a canvas along and sleep there. But they would bring in the food and feed the patient. Oh, wow. Unless they had some food restriction or something. Sure. And I remember thinking, that really makes sense to have their home-cooked food in a sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether it was the man or the woman or the child in the hospital, it would be the family that, in a sense, always be there. taking. And that was a huge thing. And suddenly when I got back, I, you know, looking at should fathers be in the delivery room? Well, 
I mean, yeah. it was like, how could we even be discussing it? Right. You know, and uh, and and wanting to bring families in more often and to be with the family and and don't hesitate to let them bring food in if that if the hospital couldn't easily pre- prepare it. And yeah. So that started me at a very early yeah. age of yeah. looking at a bigger picture. What was that defining moment when you kind of said? I think we can do things different in the U.S. Did you have a patient that really has stuck with you where you go, okay, I need to look at treating this person differently than maybe my traditional colleagues? I think I did have a a turning event. I was, you know, from my Peace Corps experience, I leaned in a certain direction. But after I got back, while I was in Peace Corps, the specialty of family medicine started in uh, 1968, 69. So. Uh, I remember I got something from the Academy of General Practice saying there's now two more years of residency that you can do in family medicine. There were eight programs at the time. Now yeah. there's a couple hundred. Yeah. But there were eight programs. And uh, so I looked at them, and the one in Oklahoma City said, you're going to do primarily outpatient work because we know that that's what family physicians are going to be doing is not much in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me, so I went mm-hmm. to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. and. I had this uh, shoulder problem that I developed from throwing the football to the boys, mm-hmm. and I got so it would be called sort of a frozen shoulder. And I yeah. saw some col- one of my colleagues, and then I went over to the university across the street uh, medical center to see an orthopedic doctor. He yeah. injected cortisone, had me do physical therapy, and it got maybe twenty percent better, but it was still pretty much a frozen shoulder that I couldn't lift up above my head. And sure. And uh, then one of my friends uh, outside the medical system, he was a banker, said, well, you need to go and, and see uh, a chiropractor. Yeah. Okay. And, and I sort of – nobody understands now the mm-hmm. hostility the mm-hmm. medical profession had toward chiropractors sure. at that point. You know, it, it was – we were mm-hmm. – On two opposite ends of the planet. Two opposite yeah. ends, yeah. And any, but anyway, I trusted him. I said, well, mm-hmm. I've done the best of Western medicine here, and it's yeah. not. And I went and saw him, Dr. Gentry, Byron Gentry. I got, came, yeah. popped in, G-E-N-T-R-Y. Yeah. And I went to see him, and he did, you know, 15, 20 minutes of work. And he said, okay, stand up and try it. And I went and I raised my arm totally above my shoulder, yeah. and I looked at him and I said, are you a chiropractor or God? <laughs> you know, I, yeah. his ranking just went really it, high. <laughs> it was like it was impossible. Yeah, because I had had you know a month of physical therapy. I'd had a steroid injection. I you know I'd had the best of Western right. medicine. Right. And so if I had a major turning point, it was like. And so we got uh, uh, two mo- weeks every year to do whatever we wanted, like mm-hmm. spend time with a dermatologist. Or so mm-hmm. I spent a whole week with him. Then, Fantastic. Uh, at one of those t- we, uh, on my residency. Yeah. And it was mind-changing because almost everybody who came to see him had been yeah. seen in the medical system mm-hmm. by the best of the medical system. Mm-hmm. And about 80% of them had results like I had. Yeah. And I'm going, this is crazy. It's against uh-huh. everything I've been taught. And so yeah. how many other things have I been taught right. that are not right? And so that started me off on the whole thing of sort of really... I love Western medicine and what we do yeah. in allopathic conventional medicine. And I realized that there were mm-hmm. sometimes absolute power leaves le- mm-hmm. causes absolute stupidity. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and some places they just had blind spots. And yeah. so that started me on the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't know how Western medicine and allopathic conventional traditional medicine became this. We have the answer for everything. Yeah. Because, it, you know, we have an answer for a lot of things. But why, you know, why was there this resistance to accepting that 
other clinicians, you know, in the alternative or integrative space might have some really good alternatives and answers too. I don't know where that animosity started, but, you know, as you referred to, it was quite strong between probably MDs or traditional medicine and chiropractors for a long time. I think that's dissipating. Thank goodness. I think so. Yeah. 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 What was one of the other things in your career that you had to unlearn as a physician? I think the bit, maybe the first thing that comes to mind when you say that, Krista, is that we aren't really taught the downside of pharmaceuticals. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, it was at an early American Holistic Medical Association meeting that the, I was on the board, and maybe 10 of us were having dinner, and yeah. someone came up with a thing of saying, what are the best things that you do for your patients? Yeah. And of the 10 of us, six of them said, number one, was take people off their pharmaceuticals. That's the best thing. Number two was put them on an elimination food diet. Yeah. You know, and I get the number three split into 10 different things. Sure, sure. But I will never forget that meeting. We were just, it was just sort of off the top of someone's head. Right. And pretty universally, all 10 of us were going take take people yeah. off their pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And number two was doing elimination diet, which we weren't even taught about in residency and medical school. Yeah. It's it was it's all, still a strange thing that just because it's so fabulous, which pharmaceuticals are, yeah. it, and of course, like mo- the more fabulous it is, probably the bigger downside it has. And mm. we and we as physicians have, I think, hope we're getting better at that. But in yeah. general, we've just negated that whole dark side of it. Right, right. What would you tell a physician? Going into medical school today, a young physician starting out their career, you know, looking at how they can make their mark in medicine, what advice would you give the new physician? That's a really tough question because I think it would be unique to each individual about why she or he is going in. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, though, uh, would be what we try to do with a program that three of us started for fourth-year medical students. Yeah. It's a month-long elective called HEART. Yeah. And the, that stands, HEART I am. And that stands for Humanistic Elective in Activism and Reflective Transformation okay. with Integrative Medicine. HEART, uh-huh. H-E-A-R-T. Yes. Humanistic Elective in Activism and Reflective Transformation and with Integrative Medicine. Yeah. And and it was a month-long elective that we would get 25 medical students out in a, a retreat center in California yeah. and in, indoctrinate them with the stuff. And and so what comes to mind when you ask that question, Krista, is it's something about reflective transformation. Mm-hmm. Remember to reflect on what's ha- what was happening to you through mm-hmm. medical school and residency. And you went in, and every study, this is not new, every study done shows that the level of empathy for first-year medical students mm-hmm. is around, on a, on a scale, you know, it's around 90% above normal hmm. or that kind of thing. Yeah. And by the end of fourth year of medical school, it's down to 60%. By the end of residency, it's at 30%. Wow. You know, wow. we basically destroy yeah. the uh, empathic right brain spiritual aspect of who those people of who the people are sure sure and so I I think uh, I I'm really sad that you know the heart program that we do the month at the 25 students yeah 
I've done a lot of teaching of medical students and residents. There is no report that I get that even comes close to equaling, you know, what the yeah. reports are out of these students. Right. Changed my life. This is why I went to medicine. They, yeah. they just, they, it, uh, it's a huge experience for them. Mm-hmm. And yet we did that for 20 years. In fact, we did it this past year on virtually, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was really oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And still not one medical school, not anybody, mm-hmm. you know. Has it's gravitated not, to implementing this no, on a routine basis. N- there's nothing like it on a, wow. yeah. And, see, and fourth year yeah. medical school yeah. would be very easy to do because that's pretty much all electives. Right. And it would be easy. I, what I would do is residencies always end in uh, June. Yeah. I would just take the month of June or July and do that one month residency to bring the people back from totally right. being in their head to being in their heart. I love that. And, you know, just from a nurse's perspective, every patient that I've ever had speak really highly about their physician, it's always because they've approached them with this, you know, knowing what they needed to know with their head, but really approaching the patient with their heart. Yeah. Um, it's it's empathy that, you know, makes us feel understood and cared for um, far more than any technical um, or, you know, scientific solutions we can come up with to solve. You know, we have to bring the heart back into medicine. And I can't imagine the, the work dissatisfaction that would come from if you were drawn into medicine because you had a deep empathy for caring for people who are sick. And by the end of the program, <laughs> you'd lost that. I mean, you're starting your career dissatisfied. I hope more places in- integrate that. If not, maybe we should do that at the Point Retreats. We'll offer that. That can be our next retreat. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There, in fact, there's a YouTube out by a physician. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he talks about uh, the poverty of emotion and the uh, the, the soul loss that yeah. happens and uh, through medicine. Yeah. Was that hard for you to maintain throughout your practice, empathy, soul, heart? I think uh, it wasn't hard. What was hard was uh, my work compulsion that mm-hmm. I wanted to it was how how do you split my time between my family mm-hmm. and um, and my practice? Yeah. You know, and so that was more of a problem. But I uh, well, actually, you know, at times uh, I remember uh, I, I was really hard on my uh, patients who uh, wouldn't quit smoking. Yeah, and uh, and then I had uh, I had a sugar problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. well, I love sugar things. Yeah, and so I just said, well, I need to stop. I learned that sugar wasn't good for me, and I stopped, and I was great. And three weeks later, I was right back on it. Yeah, and then so about four months later. I, I stopped again, mm-hmm. and about three months later, I was back on it again. Yeah. And so it changed my sort of scolding habit of, of like, if you came mm-hmm. in and you still were smoking. And I remember one one of my worst ones was someone had come in, and they had been on uh, a pack and a half a day. Yeah. And they had some lung problems, and they saw him three times, and I just really chewed him out. And right. so he came back and, and said uh, that he was— you know, like a month later, and yeah. okay, I'm I'm really doing good. I'm down to f- uh, five cigarettes a day, yeah. and I'll never forget. I said that's not good enough. You had to be off of them. Yeah, and I'll never forget the look on his face. Totally, je- he had just been spanked by his parents, yes. you know, or something. Yeah. He had done so well. Yeah, and I went home talked to my wife, who was a mental health nurse practitioner. Okay, and she just looked at me with. She said, "Bill, that is so bad." Yeah, <laughs> and I said, "What?" She said. 
you needed to be excited about that he had gone from 30 cigarettes to five. Yeah. And I looked there and I, I said, no, I feel like him. I'm shamed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you felt the shame. I, I, because yeah. I knew. You I, gave the shame and then you felt the shame come back to you. I knew she was right. but yes. And so that, that was a turning point in my practice where I suddenly became much more, oh, you're down from 20 to 15 cigarettes a day. That's fabulous. Yeah. And I found that I had that far more patients got off of addictive habits yeah. than when I was a scolder and a parent, a sure. ba- you know, a nasty parent. Sure, sure. So it's those, and those are the things we don't teach the, yeah. we don't, you know, and, and I think most of the nurses and doctors have tremendous empathy going in mm-hmm. and come out with not nearly as much. I know, which is, I had not heard that statistic before. So that's pretty... I mean, that is really eye-opening, to say the least. So the fact that you've allowed yourself to learn, though, along the way, because you can kind of go one of two ways, right? You can either let medicine kind of harden you and make you more stoic and make you more detached and, quite frankly, more unhappy. Or you can find the joy in the practice by having more empathy and more heart and more soul and more kindness in the practice. And it's a choice, like a lot of things are in life. Um, Medicine is not easy. Healthcare is not easy. But... You're one of those people who I still look at and go, gosh, you've had this incredibly robust career, but you have so much joy and purpose <laughs> and passion in what you continue to do that yeah. it's really inspiring. Oh, thanks, really. Krista. Yeah. And, and that would be one of my hopes for the nursing and the uh, medical profession is that they really, how many continuing ed programs do you see on bringing the heart back into medicine, yeah. on bringing our compassion and empathy. Not very many. Not very many. It's just, I can't think but, of any. Well, I can't either, but I didn't want to say yeah. that because, <laughs> because that, someone yeah. would come up with, yeah, there just was yeah, one. Yeah, there's that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think your your colleagues have looked at you as a healthcare rebel? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mankato is a rural Minnesota. It's a conservative town. You know, I really got along well with the physicians, even yeah. though... You know, we obviously were split on a lot of things. And really a great honor for me was when I got chosen to be the medical director of the hospital after yeah. 20, 25 years. Yeah. You know, that I they knew I'm so outside the box and, yeah. and, and they would make jokes about it. And I'll tell you a really funny story. Yeah. One time, one, my, one of my best friends was an orthopedic surgeon, Gene Swanson. And he came to me one day in the hospital, I'm making rounds. And he said, Bill, what are you up to now? <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, well, last night uh, a patient came in and uh, she had fallen on the ice and I was going to take her to surgery to repair her ankle. Uh-huh. And I'm just going through the routine history and saying, do you have any allergies? And she said, well, not medications, but milk. Yeah. And he said, well, how do you know? And he said, Dr. Manahan told me. And so I asked her, well, mm-hmm. how did he know? And he said, well, he checked my arm strength. Mm, muscle testing, I, and, yeah. And he said he checked your arm strength. What? <laughs> yeah, he had me hold something. Right. Had me hold something here, and then check my arm strength. And so, Gene Swanson comes uh-huh. up to me the next day when he sees me in the hospital and says, "Bill, what the what on God's earth are you doing now? <laughs> what?" <laughs> yeah. And, and what did you say? I said, "Well, Gene, let's have lunch together someday, and I'll talk to you about muscle testing and energy mm-hmm. energy medicine mm-hmm. stuff and all mm-hmm. that." And he rolled his eyes. and <laughs> I love that. But you weren't afraid to talk about it. And you weren't afraid to use it. But your patients have, I'm, I'm certain, benefited from that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. she her problems immediately went away. Yeah. You know, she never had another problem once she went off dairy. And and that's and you discover that all through muscle testing, through which muscle I know testing. you did not learn in medical school. No, right. No, no yes. That. But you, but your colleagues mm. knew that you were obviously a, a leader. You were highly educated. 
you believed in science, but you also believed things that were just outside kind of that cusp of fitting into our normal mold of, you know, what we were going to study in science, um, which obviously has earned you an abundance of respect throughout the years. So much so that you now have, what, a thousand plus clinicians, integrative health mm -hmm. clinicians in the state of Minnesota mm -hmm. that are part of the group that you co-chair. Minnesota Holistic mm -hmm. Medicine Group. Oh, yeah, 940. Yeah, yeah. 940. <laughs> that, and there again, that's sort of embarrassing because I basically just started it as a support group for myself because <laughs> I felt isolated down in Mankato. Yeah. So 12 of us got together up here. Yeah. Four or five of them were nurses, uh -huh. you know, one dentist, one physical therapist, no physicians. Yeah. But now, yeah, gradually over the 30 years, there's uh, 250 physicians, 150 nurses, uh, that's that's uh, 400, and then about 500 from every other, every other discipline. Every other discipline. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So, if you're a clinician yeah. <laughs> and you want to explore integrative health, I would highly recommend uh, the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group. Every person that I've met within the group is so heart-centered, wise within their discipline and expert in their discipline, and really passionate about making sure that medicine stays in this integrative space where we kind of honor both sides of the practices, um, both, you know, the traditional and non-traditional. So yeah, you and Carolyn have, have Dr. Carolyn Torkelson, have just done amazing things. And how did you and Dr. Carolyn find one another and end up co-chairing the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group? Well, I've known Carolyn for a long time because she was part of the group and that kind of thing. She offered to help me, uh, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. in there because mm -hmm. instead of having 15 at a meeting, there were 30 and then there were right. 40 and then there were 60. And, you know, there'd be more on our Saturday morning meetings, right. which we met quarterly. On, and uh, and she offered to help. And I said, that'd be great. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so then we became co-chairs of the group. And right. Where do you, what's your vision for the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group? When you look ahead, you know, out a couple of years, what's your vision for the group? I think the vision is to bring in as many practitioners as possible. So because our, our mission is to one, to learn, to get to know each other yeah. and to learn from each other and then to be able to refer to each other. Yeah. And so it's a very simple mission, but because uh, when you, like say we have a Saturday morning on chronic pain, mm -hmm. well, there's eight speakers who get to do a TED Talk and they're from every, you know, we have a chiropractor and a psychologist mm -hmm. and a, a Reiki healer and an MD and a pain specialist. And, a, and, and you really, you know, then you really can learn from each other what you're doing. And so that's my hope to, to go from where there was almost no referral back and forth. Right. That we have just the easiest of things that, oh, wait, Krista, your problem would best be solved with acupuncture yeah. or Ayurveda or, and I know just the person for you to see. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, allopathic medicine is fabulous, but half the people we see, especially with longer term problems, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be seen. Yeah. We're, we're not the right person because we put them on a pharmaceutical and. Right. And. I loved one of the presentations I heard you say, we're, you know, we're really good at fast medicine. As two clinicians who are mostly, you know, traditional Western trained, we're really good at fast medicine, acute medicine. You have a problem, we're going to fix it quick. But those chronic problems, which have now become our most acute problem, interestingly enough, is 
where we need a lot of help and support and probably where we got the least amount of training. We have the least tools in our toolbox to help people with the really lifelong chronic issues. So I resonate with what you said, Bill, and and I think that mission is beautiful because we tend to have these silos in healthcare and medicine where it's, you know, you do this, I'll do this, and they will do this. And we're not going to talk and we're not going to cross-refer and we're not even going to get to know one another what the other person's doing. And that doesn't help anybody. I'll put in a plug here for the, what you mentioned, Krista, Fast Medicine. Yeah. There's a book called Fast Medicine by Victoria Sweet. Okay. Or wait, is it Slow Medicine? Yeah, it's either slow or it's fast way the medicine. Fast, by yeah. Victoria Sweet, a physician out in San Francisco. Yeah. And I used to call it chronic care medicine and acute care medicine, but fast yeah. and slow medicine are much better words for it. Yeah. And she ta- she discusses the incredible difference between them. Yeah. And one of the key differences is that in fast medicine, you have to make a diagnosis because right. what is wrong makes do you have a fracture? Do you have a heart attack? Do you have a stroke? Right. You have you have pneumococcal pneumonia? It's what's wrong. Yeah. Well, in slow medicine, which is chronic care stuff, chronic stuff, yeah. on so many of them that like to make the diagnosis of asthma, yeah. well, on one asthma person, you want to treat with a pharmaceutical, but another one, you want to get the mold out of their bedroom. And another one, you want to have them start breathing right because they're just constricting their chest. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so it's much more going upstream to say why. Yeah. And that's... We don't learn that in medical school. Yeah. It's you make a diagnosis and you treat, and we need to understand the difference between fast and slow medicine. It's, yeah. it's the biggest error, I think, now in medical training. Okay. And, and basically, we're trained in fast medicine. So then when we get slow medicine, we use the same methods. Mm-hmm. We make a diagnosis, what's wrong, and we give a, a treatment, a pharmaceutical. Right. And we don't look at, well, what it, here's the main thing that I, when I teach younger uh, doctors, and yeah. I try to say, Always ask the patient and yourself, what in the body's wisdom is this is is my body what in the body is my wisdom of my body trying to tell me? Yeah. And so if you're having breathing problems with asthma, well mm-hmm. what what's wrong? Mm-hmm. What what what's the thing? And if you're having high blood pressure and, and we know that it was too simple chronic slow medicine, high blood pressure and, mm-hmm. and type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. We absolutely should just be putting all our resources into going upstream to say what? Well, we those two we know. Right. It's diet and exercise and life mm-hmm. stress and yeah. And, yep. and but what do we do? We put them on a medication instead of. Uh, that's where I think health coaching. I think we what we should prescribe is a health coach. I love that. And then that health coach would get six months to a year with them. Mm-hmm. And if still they have type two diabetes, and blood, then we'll use a medication. Right. But a good health coach with an average patient would about eighty percent of the time would solve the problem. Would solve the problem. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Isn't it? I hope that we keep using health coaches more and more because, like you said, behavior change is hard. It was hard to your patients to stop smoking. It was hard for you to stop eating sugar, which I can second. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so behavior change is really hard. And if you can work with a coach who can help you achieve those goals, you know, it's interesting. The other thing in healthcare, and we could probably have a whole hour podcast podcast on this is how we're willing to pay a copay on a medication that is so normalized in our society, but we are not willing to invest in say like a health coach because somehow we don't, you know, we just don't value it. But really if you, if we put our resources in the preventative spaces more so than the reactive treatments, 
I mean, I would beg to say that we, I would say we would save ourselves money in the long run. It's just not how we think. We would save huge amounts of money and have much better health. And we would have people off pharmaceuticals. And what's the number one or two cause of problems in people? Mm -hmm. Side effects from pharmaceuticals. I know. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, I mean, yeah, it's it's a no-brainer, but... I've had to get past my frustration with that yeah. and just realize things change yeah. when they're ready to change. Yeah, that's a good perspective. Change <laughs> what you can, right? And and what, yeah. you, and what you can't change and control, you know, learn to let go of. And that goes back to why I love the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group, learning from each other and cross-referral, because mm-hmm. the more MDs, DOs mm-hmm. that learn oh, maybe I should send this to a massage therapist or an acupuncturist or an yeah. energy healer or a dietitian or a, you know, we uh, it it'll be yeah. or a health coach. Yep. It's, the more that it will be recognized yeah. as a valid recommendation or referral right. or treatment. And you're right. If MDs um you know start to prescribe health coaching. Right. Um or have a movement to prescribe health coaching, you know that's where we can start to get some momentum around making some change. So, yeah, I love that. And we're very lucky here in Minnesota to have one of the top health coaching programs in the United States with Karen Lawson's program at the Center for Spirituality and Healing. The, yes. the people coming out of there are, you know, well-trained to do health coaching. Yeah, so. yeah. No, very true. It's a great point. So hopefully we'll see more and more of that. Do you have a number of health coaches as part of the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group? Probably 30 or 40 yeah. of the oh, that's good. 900 are health coaches. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's exciting. I have a few more I'm going to have to get connected to Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group, but that's fantastic. So, Bill, do you mind if I ask you a couple of what we call fire round questions? It allows our audience to get to know you just a little bit better. Sure. All right. Tell us your top three health habits that you think have made the biggest difference in your life. Number one would be uh, being born to a parents who are really good parents. And so I have an A score of zero adverse childhood experience. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Not many people can say that. (laughs) You know, it just is like, so I was really lucky to have really neat parents. Second would be uh, connecting with a uh, partner, uh, my wife, who was just a you know fabulous person and who yeah. taught me a lot about listening and because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it does, listening doesn't come easily yeah you know it doesn't come normally or naturally so that would be the second and I'd say third is having uh, having meaning and purpose in one's life yeah beautiful answers. You're so relational. I love it. But that's where you find your health, right? That's where you find your purpose and your joy. And that's what leads people to health. So beautiful answers. Yes. I would have loved to have gotten to, I wish I knew your parents. It'd be fun to get a snapshot of them. It's really been fun because during the pandemic, we've been having weekly uh, sibling calls. Yeah. And so we're going, why haven't we done this other times? Because we've all lived different places and been apart. And there's a uh, five of us, one has died, but the four of us, and we just, yeah. uh, all this stuff is coming up about yeah. our parents now. Yeah. So. Fun to re- kind of remember and reminisce. Yeah. yeah. The silver lining and all of this, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Have you been more <clears throat> rebellious in your personal life or professional life? Well, I, what comes to mind is uh, professional. I don't see myself as being very rebellious in my personal life, but yeah. my others who know me might disagree with that, yeah. but uh, I can be a little obtuse sometimes of what I'm doing or what's going on. Sure. But your professional life, I know you've been a rebel because you think outside the box. And yeah, that's, you know, really right. what, what we mean when we say that word rebel. Yeah. What's your favorite book? I know you are an avid reader. Well, it would change every month or two because yeah. I do read a lot. Yeah. Uh, the Myth of Alzheimer's was big for me. Yeah. Uh, 
by Peter Whitehouse, and then The End of Alzheimer's by Bredesen. Yes. Those two books got me thinking that, gee, maybe I have something, and I got checked out, and I did have mild cognitive impairment. Yeah. And the reason I thought I might have something is because I had been a little more forgetful the last three or four years, mm -hmm. and I had three major concussions with all the sports mm -hmm. I played in high school and college. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a couple of them were major concussions where... I afterwards I didn't you know when I woke up I didn't know where I was right. or even who I was and stuff wow. like that. So you had lost a lot of time and space with so, your concussions. Yeah, so, so significant. A couple ones. of them were milder, but yeah. still knocked out pretty yeah. much. And uh, so <clears throat> those books were important for me. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Isabel Wilkerson wrote recently uh, Cast: The Origin of Our Discontent, mm -hmm. and that's a pretty famous book right now. It's yeah. on the whole the racial problems that are oh. happening. Yes, the yes. caste. We're, caste we're, yes. It's like the India caste system. Yeah. And we think of India as being so bad with five uh -huh. different caste systems. We've got it here in America, and she explains oh, how. Oh, uh, she makes that parallel. Between she makes that. the parallel. Oh, interesting. Is Isabel Wilkerson. Yeah. So uh, that that was a recent one that I really liked, and and then the last one I just read was the education of a idealist mm -hmm. by Samantha Powers. And uh, she was uh, our United Nations ambassador. And reading this book, I called my brother who recommended it said, Jim, I totally fell in love with Samantha Powers. He said, I did too. Oh, she yeah. just is such a brilliant diplomat. And, yeah. and it's like, how could we have never heard of her? And he said, well, I've heard of her. And I said, well, I was one-upping me here. And <laughs> but, yeah. I, but she was the United Nations ambassador under uh, uh, Obama. Okay. And But she had done so much before that. And, and she truly is what we talked about, how do physicians balance a right and left brain yeah. and not just come out a left brain? Well, mm -hmm. she during it just had that ability to balance being a hard-nosed mm -hmm. negotiator and diplomat, mm -hmm. but with this incredible, uh, soft or heartfelt mm -hmm. spiritual side. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it just, it, uh, the education of an idealist and right. uh, how hard it is to be an idealist. Yes, and, yes. And especially doing negotiations with these really bad people, dictators yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah, I'll have to read that, both of those. I read the, the first two you mentioned. You read that. Yes, I read both of those um, because my mom has Alzheimer's, and I am an APOE 4-4, which <laughs> is, you know, the genetic precursor to developing Alzheimer's. So I have a deep appreciation for the books that you mentioned there, Bill, um, and I've really found Dr. Bredesen's book in particular to be quite transformational and offers hope where, you know, I think we are really needing to see some. Well, you know, the, the uh, Alzheimer's thing is like when Dean Ornish uh, did lifestyle medicine mm -hmm. and proved that you can not just hold coronary artery disease, but you can reverse mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we don't all just, you know, have, that's where health coaching, everybody yeah. with a little high blood pressure or coronary artery disease should have a health coach yeah. and get them onto his four or five point program right. because not only will it uh, hold it, but it will reverse it. Reverse it. And yeah. that's what I feel, you know, also, uh, Bredesen says, well, I'm a, you know, people are saying, are you embarrassed to say, enable a book, the end of Alzheimer's? And he yeah. said, no, I'm not at all embarrassed yeah. Yeah. because we could, you know, we could stop it along when people have early mm -hmm. Alzheimer's or mild mm -hmm. cognitive impairment. I, I'm convinced we can stop it like Dean Ornish could reverse coronary mm -hmm. artery disease. Mm -hmm. so. And he's pioneering the work. I mean, I know he's had a lot of naysayers, you know, along the way. But, boy, you've read the book. I've read the book. And I know a number of our colleagues and, you know, friends have read the book. And, and it's it's a profound what he has been able to discover or what he has discovered. And he's been able to implement. And it's kind of like that, you know, whole philosophy around pharmaceuticals and 
there's been nothing, no pharmaceuticals that have come out that have offered really much promise in right. delaying the progression or reversing is almost non-existent. Um, so we have to look at those other things, you know, and, and I don't know why, yeah, there's any resistance to that. I just admire um, providers and patients who are pursuing that um, and, and being willing to pioneer it. Um, which and doesn't surprise me that you're one of them because you're a pioneer. Let me say, even if you don't follow the different recommendations of uh, supplements and other things, go in and do Brain HQ. He's proven that it can rewire the brain by doing uh, uh, CT scans and MRI, uh, different types yeah. of scanning, yeah. that you can actually rewire the nerve uh, in, in, your, in your brain yeah. by doing you know, 10, 15 minutes a day of these yeah. uh, computer-based uh, learning programs, yeah. little games. It's games you play on the computer. So. Yeah, fascinating. Are you, Are you doing those oh, currently? Yeah. At yeah. first, I started doing them like two, three times a week. And then, you know, about after three or four months, I started doing them every day. And now yeah. this last six months, I do them every day. Oh, that's you know, so good. You know, I saw Dr. Bredesen uh, present oh, in California did. at an ah. annual functional medicine uh, IFM conference fascinating presentation, uh, but he did a demonstration or one of his colleagues did on the HQ games. Brain HQ. Yeah. And I was, I was intrigued with them and I should go and start doing those now. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. One of the things I want to do is, is bring dementia and mild cognitive impairment out of the closet mm -hmm. because it's like that happened with cancer 40 years ago. Yeah. You, nobody would even say they had cancer when yeah. I started practicing. Yeah. And then somewhere in the last 30 years, it just, I have cancer. Yeah. You know, there was, there was, it's not like you're a bad person or right. have a stigma. Right. And I realize that is the case with Alzheimer's, dementia, mild kind of impairment. Yeah. And so I wanted to say, I'm going to tell the whole holistic group. Yeah. So that's why I sent out the thing recommending mm -hmm. Bredesen's book and mm -hmm. saying, I have this. It, yeah. Uh, because know. then people, it, it makes it less of a fear for people to go, well, I've wondered if I have it or right. I've yeah. wondered if my you know, loved one has it. And I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about it or not, Bill. I, you know, knew this going into the conversation here. We're in the middle of the fire round, but it really is less important than if you're willing to talk about that, because I really appreciate that. And I've tried to do the same as a mid forties individual understanding. I have great genetic risks for developing it. And I think it is really important that we talk about it and it shouldn't have the stigma that it does, unfortunately. And it should have more hope around the diagnosis than it does. And if you catch it early, like you did, I agree. There's so much that we can do to reverse it. So thanks for being a role model for that. Yeah, the Bredesen program is really simple. The one is what we've just talked about, do Brain HQ. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do it every day, great. Three times a week is fine. Yeah. And 15 minutes, that's all it takes. Yeah. And then the other thing is looking at are other things in your uh, minerals, vitamins, and other things that maybe are short that affect brain function. Right. And one that almost that I'm learning almost everyone has is a shortage of iodine. Mm. You know, they used to put iodine in salt, and then yeah. they ended up taking it out. The reason they put it in because everybody was short. Yeah. Well, then they took it out, and it turns out that pretty much if you measure iodine levels, everybody's short. Well, iodine affects the brain. And, and, yeah. and so that'd be one mm -hmm. thing right off the top is you should, you should <laughs> you know, consider getting your iodine level checked and then start on start iodine. On it's, iodine. Just, it's a tiny little pill once or twice a day. At, yeah. uh, and a lot of things are like that, uh, yeah. that there are, there are vitamins, minerals, and, uh, and enzymes that really affect the brain. Right. And we can be uh, 
at a very early age before it's too late. Mm -hmm. We can start. It's the same stuff as Ornish predicted with lifestyle medicine. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's it's fascinating, isn't it? I learned I heard Dean Ornish present also um, at the Harvard Lifestyle Medicine um, Institute, and fascinating. And he did such a good job of, um, you know, making it a really formal research project, and and so he could you know publish the results, which is what Bradison is trying to do. But sometimes those simple things create really big wins. Um, so yeah, you're you're right. I've heard that a lot about iodine. So that's fascinating. So you're taking a supplement. Yeah, I take iodine, and uh, there's a number of supplements that I take, and I've never been someone who takes supplements. Yeah. But when you when you see the figures of oh, your vitamin D is a little low, your iodine is low, your you go oh, that's yeah. a yeah. you know those are a lot of that, deficiencies. That, that's a bunch of deficiencies, and that mm-hmm. all affects the brain. And yeah, absolutely. And you've probably over the course of this last year corrected those, yeah. or been working on correcting working them. on correcting yeah, them. Yeah, and, and that's in fact the iodine thing. Cat Hopkins said, "I don't really even have to measure it." I said, "Why?" She said, "Because I've not ever done one where the person is not low." I know Dr. Kat Hopkins is so well-respected. Um, and my sister, who's a dementia nurse practitioner, dementia prevention nurse practitioner, who's studied under Bredesen, she speaks so highly of her, too. But she was actually saying, too, with the iodine, that there's a kelp kind of salt that has the iodine back she, in. She's and, got me taking kelp. Uh-huh. You know, I had to order it from a place because yeah. the co-op didn't have it. Trader Joe's didn't have it. Right. So I just, she gave me an address, and I ordered, and it came. And so now every day I chew two or three pieces of kelp. <laughs> kelp. <laughs> I'm actually getting to like it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worrisome. Hey, that's a good side effect. There aren't very many things that you get prescribed that have a positive side effect. It, so, And it's really a cheap medication. Yeah. It, you know, it's, oh, it's like a potato chip. It's just you right. chew on this thing. And, right. <laughs> and there you get your iodine. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Bill, thank you for being open and willing to talk about that because I do think that we need individuals such as yourself who have a really strong presence in the medical community to just say, you know, I have MCI, I have mild cognitive impairment and I'm doing things that are making a difference. Um, That's a a message of great hope. So thank you Mm. for sharing that. You're welcome. So we got a little derailed in our fire round questions, but that's okay, right? That's what happens when you're talking with friends and, and colleagues that you can have great conversations with. So, Bill, I'm just going to ask you know a couple more questions um, for you. I had one where I was like, oh, I got to ask this one for Bill. But tell me your favorite way to spend a day. Well, there's two things that come to mind. One would be with friends, uh, probably three to six of them, yeah, uh, and just doing something. Three, three things. The second would be being with my kids and the grandkids. Yeah. Uh, and every year we have a family reunion where all the kids and all of us get together with some cousins and that for a week. Okay. And so that's been something my mom and dad started 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. And so that... Uh, last summer we couldn't have it. Yeah. But uh, we're all we're planning. We've got a plan for this summer. Oh, good. I was gonna ask. So yeah. uh, that's uh, been a great thing. And uh, the third thing actually is uh, is being of assistance or help to somebody. Yeah. You know, just that's it's, it's a kick for me yeah. to be able to be of service to serve in some way. Yeah. That would be another way to spend your day. Yeah, I can see that you have a servant heart. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So it's a great answer. Okay, a couple of what we call this or that questions for you. So you can just give me your answer quickly. Are you an early riser or a night owl? Early. Tea or coffee? Neither. Mm. Introvert or extrovert? Need I ask? Interestingly, I've done the uh, Myers-Briggs four times, and twice I was an introvert, and twice I was an extrovert. Huh. And I 
I said, I'm not an introvert. No, I was an, and, I kind of said that. I'm oh, assuming you're an extrovert, right. but I shouldn't make an assumption. But I, I love alone time and downtime. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you kind of, you regroup as your introvert time. It fit perfectly because I'm in the middle of five children and I almost always in life have been able to see both sides. Yeah. It, it's one of the first times in my life now politically that I'm struggling because I'm struggling to yeah. connect with the other side because uh-huh. <laughs> I, you know, and yeah. I'm trying to keep seeing what, what, what are they seeing and what are they, right. how, what am I missing here that... Right. So You're trying to find the truth in the middle. I'm trying to find that mm-hmm. middle ground, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, which I think is something we both resonate on. Yes, yeah. yes. So you're a little extrovert, a little introvert. You can find yourself in the middle and pull out either self, whichever yes. you need to be. How about texting or talking? Oh, <laughs> That's a 99 to 1 uh-huh. <laughs> talking. I thought you were going to say that. You know, Bill, you're one of the few people that still calls me. Everyone else just texts. I'm like, oh, good. There's Bill. Yeah. It's very sweet to get a phone call because I don't get very many of them anymore. So how about massage or acupuncture? Well, I I think both have a place and uh, I like both of them and I I do both of them. And, you know, probably massage gives me more immediate relief, but maybe in the long run acupuncture might. But, you know, massage just feels so good. Yeah, I know. Okay, good answer. Um, Quality of life or quantity of life? Oh, quality of life. That one's easy. Mm-hmm. It, I've been ready to die since I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard no one else say that. <laughs> so, and funny, you certainly have had many years past 20. You know, you're doing well. For some reason, in fact, it used to irritate Diane. Yeah. Because one time we were in our 20s uh, and we were in a plane go over from Malaysia and Indonesia yeah. and it caught a storm. It was a small plane yeah. and it was fly, flipping all over and people Ooh. were screaming. Ooh. And afterwards it got straightened out and, you yeah. know, it lasted a minute maybe. Yeah. And she said, what is wrong with you? And I said, what? And she said, you weren't yelling or screaming. You weren't even nervous hardly. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I was a little nervous. Yeah. She said, no, you weren't. I I was sitting there, you know, and you were just sort of, and she said, we could have died. And I said, right. yeah. And she said, well, what what do you think of that? And I said, it's okay. Yeah. She said, it's okay if you die. No, it's not okay if you die. Yeah. And I said, well, it's not okay. I'd rather, I wouldn't choose to die, but it's right. okay. Yeah. And I had never heard of past lives or former lives or any of that then. So you yeah. can imagine how ecstatic I was when I started learning about past lives. Right. And, you know, and, and so I'm a, so my, I'm really relaxed about yeah. illness and death because yeah. if I die, I'll be back in another lifetime. Mm-hmm. I've had many other lifetimes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done past life regressions a number of times and okay. gone into other, many of my other yeah. past lives. Yeah. Again, another kind of rebellious or foreign topic in medicine to talk about, right? So past lives and or passing from life to death, which I know you just sent out a fantastic newsletter from the Minnesota Holistic Medicine uh, Group platform about death with dignity concepts. And again, so few... Um, people want to talk about that topic because it's it's hard. But because you're so relaxed about it, it just feels like I can talk about this. <laughs> it's one of those interesting things, Krista. There's, what now, eight or ten states that have death with dignity and allow yeah. people to take an overdose of medicine if yeah. they're in that end stage. Yeah. And still there's 50, 40 states that say, no, it's really bad and they won't do it. And there hasn't. Yeah. Maybe, in, maybe in the last five years there's been one case of where it was misused. Right. But in the other 40 states, there's thousands of cases every year that are misused. 
used in making people suffer. Yeah. And we all would put down our dog or cat without giving it a second thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's one of those strange things that we we humans sometimes... Uh, we make things complicated. We make it complicated. Yeah. <laughs> We're a death-adverse <laughs> society. And the one thing that you and I both know <laughs> is you get a ticket in, but no one is staying here for forever. Right. <laughs> you have a ticket out at some point. <laughs> my kids now, when I bring up out once a year now that I've hit 80, I'll bring up with my kids something about, now you know what? You know, you know yeah. what to do if I'm yeah. in chronic pain or that kind of thing. And they roll their eyes and say, Dad, you've been telling us since you've been 65. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've been yeah. for a fi- Don't worry. We know Don't what worry. to do. Yeah. We know where the bag is. We know where. <laughs> <laughs> we know your wishes. <laughs> yeah, you bring great peace around the topic, which we need physicians to pioneer. See, and I thought of it when you told me that you have the gene for Alzheimer's. Your mother has Alzheimer's. Yeah. You know, it's important for you to somehow take that worldview of, I'll do everything I can to prevent it, and I'll accept if in this lifetime yeah. that's what I'm supposed to, you know, that's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Because then you're not living in the fear, and living in the fear is part of what's going to mm-hmm. cause the problem. Right, right. You know, it expedites the it, brain it, it, aging. It, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. And so it's always that dance between just common sense and doing what's best and accepting yeah. sometimes our path. Yeah, 100%. You know. Kind of like you have with your kids, Bill. I'm, you know, 46, and I started having those conversations with my kids, too, now. I'm like, you know what? I'm doing everything I can to prevent or delay this. But if it happens, don't feel bad about X, Y, and Z, you know? So it's good. It's a good, healthy thing to have those conversations. But sometimes we need physicians or nurses to make that more normal um, because it still feels fairly abnormal for people. So, Bill, we had just such a great conversation. I so appreciate your time. What I want to tell people is if they want to find out more about you or the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group, how can people find out more? Where can they go? Uh, two things. One is uh, www.minnesotaintegrative.com is our website. Okay. And then, or if they want to contact me directly, Bill Manahan at Q, as in Quest, yeah. Q.com. Okay, wonderful. And do you accept all clinicians as part of the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group? Pretty much all healthcare clinicians, yeah. yeah. All healthcare clinicians. Okay, wonderful. And if in, you th- in Minnesota. In Minnesota, yes. Okay, got if it. If they want to be national, if they're not in Minnesota, then there's the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, and that's sort of our parent organization. And there's kind of a chapter in every state. And then, then there's chapters in most states. All right, perfect. And I know if you want to see Bill in person, I know one event that he'll be at, and that will be at the Point Retreats this fall. Uh, we are co-leading a retreat for healthcare professionals. September of 2021, along with Dr. Carolyn Torkelson, Dr. Suzanne Bartlett-Hackenmiller, we are putting together a retreat for healthcare professionals to experience um, a lot of ways that we can improve our health by doing new things such as forest bathing outside, looking at creating more healthy environments inside, and exploring all kinds of new ways to health because we all need more health than sickness this year, I would say. If you would like to learn more about The Point Retreats and learn more about that retreat, you can go to our website, thepointretreats.com. Otherwise, you can find us on our social media pages, Point Retreats on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Otherwise, Bill, thank you for this beautiful conversation. I know we took it a few different directions, but each one of them equally as important. So your time and your friendship is very valued. To our audience, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast and Dr. Bill inspire you to rebel and be well.
I hope you will join us for our next podcast, which will be an interview with Thaddeus Owen. Thaddeus is a chemical engineer and co-founder of an online platform designed to help others transform their health. Thaddeus specifically speaks to circadian biology and how one can improve their sleep in today's modern world. You've been listening to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Ryman, registered nurse, founder, and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. If you'd like to ask Krista Rymel, or one of our past or upcoming guests, a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, that phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear feedback. Rebel and Be Well is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of The Point Retreats, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other organization. All medical issues, concerns, diagnoses, medications, and treatments must be managed by your doctor. We do not replace any clinician's medical advice or treatment. Join us next time for Rebel and Be Well.